Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump, Ellis. Well, good morning and uh, welcome to a very interesting Friday in America. And I think this is another unprecedented uh, event that occurred yesterday with the indictment of President Trump uh, out of a federal grand jury in Florida. And so that news coming yesterday that uh, President Trump uh, has now been summoned to appear in a federal court on Tuesday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern. And so uh, we're going to just talk about that uh, this morning as far as what we know. Um, To my knowledge, the actual indictment uh, has not yet been unsealed and has not been uh, released not only to the public, uh, but my understanding, uh, not even to his own lawyers. So there's a lot of uh, speculation around what is actually contained in the indictment, um, we do believe that it is surrounding uh, the Mar-a-Lago uh, document uh, controversy and what, uh, if any, classified documents uh, were held at uh, Mar-a-Lago by President Trump and um, really just surrounding uh, returning those documents uh, to the government. And so uh, this is what President Trump's attorney, Alina Haba, said yesterday to Rob Schmidt uh, on Newsmax. This is Cut 7. I think that it's as obvious as what the American people see. We had Hillary Clinton who bleach, uh, bleached her computer, smashed a phone. We had Bill Clinton's sock drawer fiasco. We have um, Obama having his documents with NARA at a facility by McDonald's in a parking garage. I mean, you can't make it up, Rob. And the reality of this sad state of affairs is this is political. It's political. It's, it's, it's election interference. I would love to say that it's legal, but it's not. You know, I'm his attorney, but I feel more like a politician these days because the reality of what we've been thrown into is a disgrace to the American Constitution, a disgrace to the American legal system, and a serious need for housekeeping throughout the DOJ, the FBI, uh, and the White House, frankly. A lot of allegations of prosecutorial misconduct and in this case, as, as well as what we saw with Alvin Bragg and kind of hiding exculpatory evidence from Alvin Bragg, what have you seen in this case? Yeah, we saw the same thing. I mean, that's part of the reason they went out on Monday was to let them know that, you know, we have whistleblowers coming in. We had, you know, Mark Pomerantz in the DA case. You have whistleblowers coming forward in this. We have a, a big distraction for what has come out this week about the Biden family uh, with their $5 million uh, bribery scheme, right? So we have News of that coming out, you know, Comer, everybody in, in, in Washington trying to get to the bottom of that. And what happens? A big, shiny Trump ball comes out that people don't look at Biden. They look at Trump. And uh, I hope the American people and I know I have faith in the American people that they're smarter than they think we are. And we know what is what and we know where this angle is coming from. So that was Alina Haba speaking to Rob Schmidt on Newsmax yesterday after the news broke. And uh, that was really the posture of a lot of Republicans, um, especially members of Congress as well, that uh, responded to the news of the indictment, uh, saying, as Elise Stefanik uh, 
did, who is the uh, Republican House Conference chair, she said, quote, the exact same day that the FBI is forced to turn over to Congress, um, absolutely damning and credible allegations regarding Joe Biden's illegal, egregious and treasonous corruption. Joe Biden weaponizes his Department of Justice to indict Donald Trump. She said the American people are smart and understand this is the epitome of the illegal and unprecedented weaponization of the federal government against Joe Biden's leading opponent, President Donald J. Trump. She added that, uh, quote, in 2024, we will vote uh, like this country has never seen before, and we will elect President Trump back to the White House to save America. So what uh, what Elise Stefanik and others are talking about is on Thursday afternoon, uh, before the news of the indictment came out, the House Oversight Committee Republicans told reporters after reviewing the FBI's informant file that the FBI informant claimed to possess two pieces of evidence that show Joe Biden received $5 million after threatening to withhold aid to Ukraine until a prosecutor probing the Ukrainian energy company Burisma Holdings was fired. Um, So according to Breitbart News, which reported that, uh, they go on to report that the bombshell allegations come after the FBI refused to allow House members to review the document, citing its use in an ongoing investigation. But 11 hours before the House Oversight Committee would assemble to vote on holding the FBI Director Ray in contempt of Congress, the FBI agreed to permit all of the members of the Oversight Committee to review it. There were a number of uh, members of Congress, including uh, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, that uh, posted on Twitter talking about this document. And so that was really the breaking news story until the indictment uh, came down from for, for uh, Donald Trump and his attorneys uh, received this uh, summons, according to reports, to appear in court next Thursday. And then, of course, uh, the media cycle shifted. So is this a coincidence? Was this timed? Well, um, other Republicans have uh, a different view of what's going on in the Mar-a-Lago document case and uh, really what what we believe is going on, um, at least what I believe is going on based on the reports, is that there will be about seven uh, counts in that indictment. Um, reports are suggesting there will be one other person as well that's indicted, um, including Donald Trump, and that this uh, will be not only an obstruction of justice, a conspiracy, count um, and possibly uh, something related to the Espionage Act uh, and not really dealing with the Presidential Records Act as much. And so when you think about the Espionage Act, though, this isn't um, necessarily, you know, something that would be spying or um, releasing confidential information, um, you know, something that's necessarily treasonous. It would just be related uh, to possession and withholding classified documents uh, that President Trump uh, could not have retained when the government asked him uh, to give them back. So uh, Bill Barr, who, of course, was the former attorney general under President Trump, had a different view than uh, President Trump's attorney, Alina Haba, on the propriety of uh, this particular indictment. And uh, he said this uh, on media Um, I believe just two days ago, right before the indictment uh, was coming down in response to um, a media entity asking him about uh, what was going on with the Mar-a-Lago documents and his view of the possible pending indictment at that time. So this is cut five. 
based on the facts, as the facts come out, I think over time people will see that this is not a case of the Department of Justice, you know, conducting a witch hunt. In fact, they approached this very delicately and with deference to the president. And this would have gone nowhere had the president just returned the documents. But he jerked them around for a year and a half. And the question is, did he deceive them? And if there's evidence of that, uh, I think people will start to see that this says more about Trump than it does the Department of Justice. And that is that uh, he's so egotistical that he has this penchant for, for conducting, you know, risky, reckless acts to show that he can sort of get away with it. It's part of asserting his, his, mm-hmm. his ego. And he's done this repeatedly at the expense of all the people who depend on him to conduct the public's business in an honorable way. And, you know, we saw that with both impeachments. And there's no excuse for what he did here. Whether it's a crime or not remains to be seen. And whether it is a crime or not does remain to be seen. And I think that's an interesting analysis from Bill Barr. And uh, for those who who were saying, well, he's obviously just embittered toward Trump. Um, this was his reaction to the Manhattan indictment. And notice the very distinct and different tone that Bill Barr took uh, and is taking from the Mar-a-Lago document indictment compared to the Manhattan indictment. This is cut six. Uh, this is an abomination. It's the epitome of the abuse of prosecutorial power uh, to bring a case that would not be brought against anyone else. They are going after the man, not a crime. And the legal theory, uh, frankly, is pathetically weak. The case is held together by paper clips and rubber bands. It's, it's a lousy case. <laughs> and, the, and the music behind that is because uh, that was pulled from a, that particular clip was pulled from a, an Instagram video. So um, it was not meant to be overdramatic, but that was what uh, what Bill Barr responded on uh, the Manhattan indictment. So, so his take as a former attorney general and um, the former head of the Department of Justice is that the Manhattan indictment is uh, completely a it, prosecutorial misconduct and held together, as he says, by, you know, paper clips and rubber bands. Um, but then he is very concerned about the uh, Mar-a-Lago document case and uh, this particular indictment saying that the question remains to be seen um, whether uh, President Trump and, and members of his team at Mar-a-Lago uh, potentially uh, misled the uh, the law enforcement in returning um, these documents and how all of that uh, was connected. And so, um, well, there's a lot of political fallout. Um, there is definitely a difference from the court of public opinion. And of course, uh, Republicans and Trump supporters um, are quick to suggest that this is, you know, of course, just a witch hunt. And then the the Democrats and the never Trumpers and the people who just absolutely hate him are quick to suggest that this is the smoking gun and we finally have Trump and he's uh, been the career criminal we've always known he is. And so there's always this separation in the media just based on uh, liking or hating Donald Trump. And so we need to remember as we move forward and um, as we are not speculating yet (laughs) about what's going on in this document case because we haven't seen uh, the indictment. And when we actually see that unsealed, then I'll have a better legal analysis for that. Uh, Strength of the case can get um, some other attorneys uh, on the program to talk about it. But we do need to always remember that um, the court of law is very different than the court of public opinion. And so the political fallout does not necessarily depend 
on what happens in the court of law. And this is going to be um, a very, very slow process because like we saw with the Manhattan indictment and the news um, that was so focused on President Trump going up to Manhattan, he was arraigned there. We haven't really heard anything else um, in the media cycle. And that's that's kind of, I think, gone out of the public consciousness a little bit because uh, the justice takes a long time. Um, the court process is not swift. So what we can expect from uh, this particular indictment that was handed down from uh, the grand jury, um, I believe yesterday, according to reports, uh, then President Trump will go make that appearance in um, in the Miami federal court on Tuesday. And then we won't really hear a whole lot about this in terms of the next steps of the legal process, um, just because court dates are so far out. And so um, they're likely on the political side will be a fundraising bump um, for President Trump. I anticipate that like last time. And um, then, you know, whether or not that will reflect in the polls for other candidates and how they will deal with that, um, I think really depends on what happens from there. But um, we would be wise as Christians to pray that the truth will come out in all circumstances, that justice will be served, that the judges in the cases will be fair to President Trump, provide due process. And we need to be praying for this country and that we will see clearly and understand the direction of this country. So I'll have a lot more on that uh, once we know more. So we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Pride Month is a big deal for the left. We're seeing all of this merchandise. We're seeing the ring of rainbow flags everywhere. And of course, on Twitter, everyone is posting all of these things. Well, my tweet was saying, reject pride, embrace Christ, hashtag truth wins. And of course, all of the responses are, well, Jesus was so tolerant. And, you know, he uh, didn't say anything about homosexuality or transgender or anything in the Bible. And you're not a real Christian and all of these other responses. And so to get down to the core of the issue and how Christians need to respond to this thing called pride. I want to welcome in a good friend and someone I've followed for a long time and who is the pastor, um, who's a pastor and also the president of For the Gospel Ministries, Kosti Hinn. So Kosti, I'm so looked forward to having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me on, Jenna. Appreciate you. Yeah, so you're a pastor and you have seen all of these things in uh, the culture. And so what is the basic Christian worldview response that is grounded in biblical truth to this thing called Pride Month? It's a great question. I pastor a brand new church plant in the Phoenix area called Shepherd's House. And one of the first things I preached on in this series we just did called Conviction was the issue of marriage, gender, family and sexuality, because in today's world, especially in the church, You've got to give people clarity on this issue. Otherwise, they just spin. And you're right. I watch this uh, self-proclaimed gay pastor on TikTok sometimes and Twitter and Instagram, and he'll do these reels where he just says things that are completely twisted and out of line with scripture, but he'll ascribe them to Christ. And so when I go to the Gospels, which is the best place to learn about Jesus, because he's actually saying things himself, 
and nobody's putting words in his mouth, you'll see Jesus affirm marriage between one man and one woman. A lot of times they'll create this sort of straw man argument that Jesus never said homosexuality is a sin or Jesus never said, you know, who you couldn't couldn't marry. Jesus didn't have to. What they'll do is push Genesis 1 off to the side and go, well, that's Genesis. You know, Jesus just came and loved people. Actually, when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees about marriage, he said, and he made them male and female. What God joins together, let no man separate. And his whole point was the way God designed marriage to be is the way it's always going to be. Whenever Jesus quotes from the Old Testament, he's saying this still carries over. And he was talking to the Pharisees who were pretty historically known to twist and make rules of their own and make laws of their own. And what will happen today is you and I and other Christians for saying marriage is between one man and one woman or making a clear stand or a line in the sand on gender, they'll say, you're a Pharisee and I'm a Pharisee and you need to just love people. If we define a Pharisee the way the Bible did and even the way Jesus did, Pharisees were those who added to God's law twisted God's law in order to exploit people or unfold their own agenda. That is what the LGBTQ community is doing. They're taking Jesus, slapping it on their own ideas, and leading an entire generation astray. And I'll add this, Jesus said false Christs would arise, that false gospels would be prevalent, that people would say all sorts of things that weren't true. And here's another interesting one. He tells his disciples, you're going to be hated in this world. Take comfort. They hated me first. And what is one of the first responses you'll get for posting that on Twitter? You're a hater. You're narrow-minded. You're a bigot. You're a white supremacist. You're this, that, and the other. All of this is par for the course, unfortunately, in one sense. But I think it also gives us a great opportunity to share the truth in a dark world. Yeah, absolutely. And we do get a lot of pushback of, well, you're bigoted, you're intolerant. And Jesus said, don't judge. And, you know, they quote that, uh, that first part of Matthew and they forget the rest of the chapter, but they say, you know, don't judge because Jesus didn't judge. He was tolerant and he came to preach a gospel of love. And that's not true. What is the best answer to that? I love when people go Matthew seven, it's Matthew seven verses one and two, judge not lest you be judged. It's a great statement to make. But we need to add verse two, for in the measure by which you judge, you also will be judged. So here's what we would say. Absolutely. If I take God's design and I take God's word and I take the truths about Christ and I twist them up and I smear the name of Christ for my own LGBTQ agenda and I do what Romans 1 says and I push off God's revealed wisdom and his truth to do my own thing, absolutely you should judge me. For in the same measure that I'm judging, you should judge me. Sometimes you and I will go online and we'll post things about maybe a a false teacher or a dangerous preacher who's exploiting or abusing people. And people say, judge not. Well, no, for in the measure by which you judge, you'll be judged. Absolutely. Jenna, I should be featured on your show as a false teacher and a dangerous leader. If I preach the prosperity gospel and use and abuse people, if I am twisting the words of Christ, you should be put on blast as well if you misrepresent him. Because in the same manner that we judge, it also should be judged upon us. That's what Jesus is saying. He's actually leveling the playing field and creating a scenario in which we stick to truth and we honor the truth and we judge by truth. Paul the Apostle, really helpful in this regard. 
he's at the church at Corinth, which historically was like Vegas on steroids. The church at Corinth was wild. They were sinful. There was sexual sin. There were problems in the church, all sorts of crazy things happening. And he says to them in 1 Corinthians 5, what do we have to do with judging outsiders? We judge within the church, meaning we judge those who use the name of Christ and wear the jersey of Jesus, if you will. They're saying, I play for the team and I'm one of his followers. Paul says, oh, we judge them rightly and clearly. If you say that you follow Jesus and you believe in Jesus, but you don't honor the words of Jesus, you need to be put out. And he comes on really strong and says, put the wicked man out from among you. He's misrepresenting what true Christians are all about. I know that may seem unloving or harsh to some people, but I think we need a good dose of truth in today's culture. We're soft. I'm 37. I'm a millennial. You look at Gen Z and some of the world's generations coming, and you see people that can't disagree without, you know, oh, you don't agree with me, you're canceled, or, you know, they get emotional if you just point out something simple. We need to go back to speaking the truth and accepting it, and we need objective truth. Otherwise, we get the chaos we're seeing today. Absolutely. And true love is speaking truth. And so there's this warped mentality in especially in the millennials and the Gen Zers and this whole entire LGBT agenda that says that if you love someone, you will just accept whatever behavior they have. And even the shooter in Uvalde in Texas, his mom um, allegedly came out and said, he had his reasons for what he did. Don't judge him. And I mean, I just thought to myself, where are we at in culture when we can't even judge something that is so obviously horrendously evil and atrocious that a yep. mother would actually come out and say something like that. But this is what the culture is teaching right now is that love means that I just affirm Anything that anyone else wants to do or be or say, regardless of any moral standard, but that's not true love. Absolutely. I think people need to go back to logic and take things to their logical conclusion. If you're a mother or a father, it sounds great in theory in the middle of a conversation to appease the, you know, people yelling at you to raise a fist or whatever culturalism they're throwing on you. It, it appeases the mob. But if you play things out to their logical conclusion, who in the world wants their child to grow up in a, a city, a country, a place in which people call evil good? That's crazy. There was an Old Testament prophet who said, woe to you who call good evil and evil good. What was he doing? He was pronouncing a danger or a woe, a great word of caution. There was calamity coming if you built a society that way and if people operated that way. I don't want to live in a world, I don't think anyone really does, in which someone can just decide to identify as whatever they want, and I have to be good with that or else I'm unloving. That means that a man can simply identify as a seven-year-old girl and use a bathroom along with my daughter or your daughter, because he, and it's unloving for me to say, get out of the bathroom, you're a man. I don't want to grow up in a world in which you know we see this with athletes now. You can't say anything about a man winning a, a swimming title and dominating the female competition or else you're unloving, you're canceled. The Bible says that we're to speak the truth in love. People will say sometimes, you know, God sounds like a narcissist. It's his way or the highway. It's his glory, nothing else. I always ask this question. Would you call Michael Jordan a narcissist if he wanted the ball 
with three seconds left in the game on the line? No, he's the best shot we got. If you're a big Steph Curry fan, same question, same answer. God is about his own glory. God is about his way. God tells us to speak the truth in love this way because he knows his way is the best way. He's all about his own glory and about his own way because he's our creator. And what people are doing is going according to their own way, their own mind, and that is the result of sin. Romans 1 makes that so clear that the unrighteous, they suppress the truth. They know it deep down. That's why if you were to ask interrogative questions of these parents and go, yeah, but isn't it dangerous for that sort of ideology to permeate our culture? Wouldn't there be more mass shooters? Wouldn't more people just let things go? And, and they go, yeah, but they, they know it, but they suppress it because they want their own version of truth. And I'm one of those people, I think you are too, who says God's truth is the truth. The last thing I'll say is this on that. I got four kids and a fifth on the way. If my son, congratulations. thank you. I mean, it's, it's convicting every day when I see them. And I think if I love my children, the Bible says I'll correct discipline and guide them. I'm going to put some fences on their decision-making process. They're just young. And so I need to guide them. No one would say that you're an unloving mother or I'm an unloving father because I draw clear lines and I say no, or I point out danger, or I say, that's wrong. Don't do that to your sister, or that's not how we talk to authority. People would say that's right and good. In fact, the Bible says, I'm a loving father. The Bible says mm-hmm. that a man who hates his child does not discipline, does not create boundaries of truth. It's actually hate to do that. Mm-hmm. I think we need to remember that in today's culture. It is love that draws clear boundaries. It is love to say, no, that's wrong. Yes, that's right. It's love to tell someone that they're heading into oncoming traffic or they're heading towards danger. We need to redefine love God's way. And that could be a whole nother episode. The world has taken love a very dark direction and it's what's got us here. They have, and it's all emotional and feelings-based. And I think you're absolutely right to say that we need to return to logic. And that's not often as attractive because it doesn't go along with our feelings that uh, drive some people to commit sins or to a desire evil or to do the behavior that they prefer, even though the best for them is to fall in line with the objective truth. But we can see the inconsistency so easily with, uh, with any of the people People who say, well, we just need to affirm any behavior. Love means accepting anyone for who they say they are, not even who they are, who they say they are. I mean, if they want to identify as an elephant now, you know, okay, well, we don't want to judge anyone. But they also yeah. know that that ultimately is not logical because every single human being, regardless of their worldview, knows that there is a difference, a measurable difference between right and wrong and good and evil. And we can't possibly even define those terms unless there is an objective source of truth and we have a standard by which to measure that difference against. And I mean, we know that just from basic math, which of course the left wants to hijack and say two plus two can equal purple now, you know, they just want to make and distort everything. And so even though we're using logic here, how do we best as Christians also answer the emotional response when people say, well, you're just hating, you're just unloving, you don't care about people's emotions. I mean, look at this poor kid who wants to be transgender and wants to celebrate Pride Month. Mm -hmm. You don't even care about what they're feeling. 
Yeah, I would point to God's design, God's love, and even God's blessing on his design in an emotional way. Here's what I mean by that. As a pastor, I'll plead with people at times in counseling meetings or discipleship meetings. And I'm not, I don't just say, well, here's what the Bible says, take it or leave it. Is that good? Got it. Awesome. Why are we still talking? Hit the road. Go obey. I don't do that with my children either. I appeal mm-hmm. to them with a heart of love. What does God want for us? What's best? What's best? His way. What's the result of his way? I can give you a list of amazing blessings that come as a result. And the intangibles. Christians are joyful people. Why? Mm -hmm. Well, because our eyes are set on the things that are above. Christians could be going through cancer diagnosis. One of our kids, our son, Timothy, he's four years old. He is a cancer kid and he's doing fine right now. But there are times where I'm reminded that I can have joy even in the midst of having a kid with cancer. I've met parents who have more joy than some people I've met who have every all the money in the world. Because when you are enduring trial and you are a Christian, you know that there's something greater coming. You're not living for this little snippet on earth to fulfill you and live your best life now. You're living for eternity to come. I would appeal to people in love, even with that emotion and that passion, saying there is an eternal life coming. Mm -hmm. It is eternity in hell for rejecting God and going your way and not believing in Christ in faith. He is the son of God. Or there's an eternity in heaven filled with joy and things that you could never even imagine. If you could bottle up peace and package it, and offer it for sale on Amazon or wherever else. You'd be richer than Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos combined because the world is searching for peace. And I would emotionally appeal with people in love saying, you will never have the peace of God until you're at peace with God. You need to believe the gospel. You need this for your soul. You weren't created by chance. You were created by God. You're made in the image of God. And the more you abandon his design, the more that road leads to destruction and the more you follow God's way, the more it will lead to blessing. Doesn't mean health and wealth on this side of heaven, but it means great treasure where it counts. That's in eternity. And I think we do need to remember as Christians that we're not after winning arguments. We're after winning souls. I want to appeal to the heart of a person. I want to reach them where they are. I'm all for truth and I'm all for clear, hard lines. But Ephesians 4.15 is the reminder, speaking the truth in love. You've really got to have the eyes of Christ, if you will. You're praying, Lord, help me to see this person the way you do. Their wickedness is leading them on a pathway to hell. Your righteousness will call them home. Help me to stay right there down Main Street, truth and love. I think we need to stay evangelistic as Christians and not blow the thing to smithereens every time and do cancel culture back, but be steady like Christ, but never waver on truth. Yes. And never wavering on truth. You mentioned at the outset of this show that one of the first messages that you teach, uh, that you taught in your, uh, in your church was about the sanctity of marriage and family and these definitions that come from the Bible, that come from our creator. And so many pastors are wavering in truth. They're hesitant to be counterculture. They want to teach either the prosperity gospel or things that um, appeal to culture. They want to just have the numbers over the saving of souls. And why do you think that is in our culture today? Why are pastors so hesitant to speak truth and actually fulfill their obligation to be the church? I think there's 
two sides to this answer. Number one, there are men and women who are not pastors. They are imposters. They are what the Apostle Paul and what Peter describe as those who secretly introduce destructive heresies. They're looking to exploit the sheep. Jesus in John chapter 10 actually calls those kind of shepherds hirelings. When there's danger, when there's trouble, when there's a firefight, if you will, spiritually speaking, they're out. They're looking for a nice paycheck, an American 403B in the nonprofit world, and to just kick it in suburbia and call themselves a pastor. They're looking for a road of ease to be sort of a spiritual guru. They do the TED Talks. They just want you to come, give your money. Your kids had an awesome time. Awesome. See you next week. That group, there's a reason they do that. Well, they're just looking to live an easy life. They're not really trying to be faithful to Christ. I think there's another element of American culture that has taught pastors that, uh, you know, conflict is bad and, you know, truth should be softened because we don't want to offend people. And there is a culture of church leaders who are not necessarily imposters, but they've gone soft. They need to remember that people pleasing is not their call. They need to please Christ. And it was Paul the Apostle who, of all things, hardliner, gets accused of people pleasing by the Jews and the Judaizers. They're saying, oh, you're preaching a gospel of grace, that it's easy. You don't have to do works. You're just trying to make it easy to get into heaven preaching this grace stuff. You're a people pleaser. He comes out swinging. This is in Galatians 1, 6 through 12. And he goes, I'll tell you what, anybody preaching another gospel other than the one that we've committed to and you've heard from us, let them be accursed. In other words, anathema. There's a curse placed upon them. And he goes, now am I people pleasing? I think we take an example from Paul and go, hey, pastors, you need to get up in the pulpit and you need to lay down the line, preach the counsel of God, preach the word, nothing less, and not apologize for it. And Mm -hmm. I was at a church not long ago, locally, just visiting and just wanted to get the word. I was off on a Sunday from where we were at that time. And I went and a guy got in the pulpit and he, you could tell he was really just trying to fire up the crowd. And he goes, you know, how many get really uncomfortable when I talk about sin? How many of you? And he, I think he was looking for a big response. Like two people put their hand up in this crowd of 1500. And I'm thinking, yeah, no one's uncomfortable. Can you just bring (laughs) it? Like a generation is tired of being coddled. And he proceeded to preach about sin and grace. And every time he brought up sin, he would do this phrase. He'd go, hey, and and I know some of you are uncomfortable. And I know some of you are a little nervous. No shade, no shame. No shade, no shame. And I I was sitting there going, dude, you haven't opened the Bible. You Mm -hmm. got awesome clothes and cool skinny jeans and cool boots. And you're, you're, you're very awesome. And, but you're, and then you're saying, sorry for saying sin. Would you, I showed up for 40 minutes. Can you do me a favor and just hit me straight with truth? Mm-hmm. That is the American church. So my encouragement to pastors and my affirmation of those who are faithful, just bring it and love them well and let God decide the rest. Don't people please. That's such a great encouragement. And I think you're right that so many pastors who just want to be cool and want to uh, almost be the TED talk, you know, and just the let's live our best life and kind of add Jesus onto that and only look at the good uh, verses in the Bible and not confront any of um, you know the difficult things in life. They're actually discounting how hungry people are for truth and oh, how totally. much people do want to grow because people are so tired of sin. And, you know, one of my favorite 
uh, quotations from Pastor John MacArthur um, out in California, um, is that when he talks about looking forward to heaven and he says, you know, I'm not mm. uh, looking forward to just the streets of gold and the pearly gates. I'm looking forward to the absence of sin because I Come hate on. sin. And that is so profound because the impacts of sin, we all feel it every day and we all want to be closer to Christ. Even the people who haven't accepted Christ yet, they don't know that, but that is the hunger and the drive of what calls us as human beings to be closer to our creator. And pastors are missing that opportunity with all of these things and all of these headlines that go on every day and all of the you know political things that I talk about. I love saying on the show, I mean, yeah, we can talk about politics and we can talk about the individual things, but we have to talk first and foremost about truth. Otherwise, politics doesn't even matter. And so we have to get back to the heart and the truth of yeah. who Jesus Christ is and our identity, not being made up in the LGBT agenda or whatever reality we want to shape in our own image. We have to get back to the fact that our identity is in Christ because we're all human beings made in the image of God, have inherent dignity and worth, and we are who we are only because of him. And I think pastors need to recognize how hungry people are for that truth. So where can people come and find more of that truth um, in your church and in the books that you've written and in your ministry, uh, Kosti And I just so appreciate how much you bring it and you always teach truth and I love it. Well, I'm grateful. I There's a reason why I think I'm pretty zealous is I've written a book in particular called God, Green and the Prosperity Gospel. I came out of a family that was very staunchly bought in, and I was bought in growing up myself to the prosperity gospel, Jesus as a commodity, Jesus as a means to my best life now, and sort of that Osteen, you know, Benny Hinn, it's my uncle, and kind of that stream. And so when the Lord saved me, I just thought I want nothing more than to do things his way. And so I've written a book called God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel, talking about that journey. And then a book called More Than a Healer to help people realize Jesus is a healer and he does love you and he's for you. And that's great. And if you're a believer, those are great promises for you. But he's more than that. And we need to understand all of who he is so we can worship him fully. I'm a pastor and a church planter of the Shepherd's House Bible Church in Chandler, Arizona, I absolutely love it in Arizona. We've been here three years. And I told my wife when we moved out here, just bury me in the valley. I love (laughs) doing ministry out here. And then what we do to give people more online resources for free is we have an online media ministry called For the Gospel. And our subtitle is Sound Doctrine for Everyday People. We kind of take big theology and big topics like this. We boil it down really simply. And we have a podcast. We have tons of free videos. We're on TikTok. We're on Instagram. We use a lot of viral media to target the next generation. Because once I was sitting with a group of Gen Z students and I said, how many of you want pastors who kind of soften it up? And how many want pastors who just bring it? Almost all of them put their hand up. They want a pastor to bring it. I said, why? And they said, we've grown up in churches that give us Disneyland and sort of want to keep us entertained. We see right through it and we just want the truth. And so our ministry is designed for that, geared towards that. And it's kind of what we do. So hopefully that helps people and serves them well for the glory of God. That's amazing. And last question before you go. So for people who aren't in the Scottsdale, Arizona area, but they want a pastor that will bring it, what is your encouragement and advice to them to find a solid church? Yes, I would visit if they're looking for a few churches, I'd visit a few churches and I would look for a preacher who's preaching, generally speaking, verse by verse through books of the Bible, 
He's not cutting things out and avoiding hard truth. He's taking you through it. You're wrestling through the word and God's shaping you through that. I would look for a church that is led by uh, pastors who are men. In today's culture, a lot of people say, well, it can be a woman. It can be whoever. It can be a trans person. It could be a gay person. I would look for pastors that match 1 Timothy chapter 3. There's a whole list of qualifications. This stuff isn't rocket science. They're not cool. They're not going to have a bunch of Instagram followers. That's not the criteria. Even if you have them, that's not what makes me a pastor. They are men who are qualified according to God's word. Don't settle for anything less. Even if the children's ministry entertains your kids, look for churches that are soaked in truth and faithful. I'll say this. There's a really helpful website. John MacArthur, Grace Community Church, they have a seminary called the Master's Seminary. I'm starting my doctorate there in January. They have a TMS Church Finder. They have this app on their website that will help you find churches led by pastors who have graduated from there. And those are typically well-trained, faithful guys who are leading the church a right direction. So I'd look at an app like that or just send me a note on Instagram or email our ministry and we'll try to help you find a church in your area. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining me and bringing it today, Akasi Hinn. And I would love to have you back on soon to uh, to dive deeper into your testimony. I think it's just such an amazing account of what God did in your life and um, illuminating the false doctrine of the prosperity gospel and all of that. So um, I know that all of my listeners would love to hear that. So look forward to having you on hopefully soon. And again, thank you so much for joining me and continue to bring it and to keep speaking truth. And thank you for your ministry. Thank you, Jenna. Keep it up. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back. And if you missed the interview with uh, Kosti Ken talking about the biblical response to this notion of pride from the secular left and how we can confront our culture rightly with the truth about the uh, the biblical worldview of human sexuality. You can always go back and listen to a rebroadcast of this show at AFR.net. You can always reach uh, me and my team, Jenna at AFR.net. And I want to close the program uh, today by talking about some resources that the AFA Cultural Institute um, can provide because as we're talking about these really important issues in um, championing the truth in society. Um, This isn't just academic because there are so many people that are so broken by, uh, by all of these false worldviews that have not only overtaken them, um, their lives have been overtaken in sin. And there are so many people who have been truly broken by this uh, cultural Marxism in our society. And we are going to have to deal with that as a Christian community and as the church um, and in our communities. Um, You may have people in your church, uh, whether it's now or it's six months from now or a couple of years from now, um, who have gone through gender transition surgery and who are broken and who are even more um, depressed or who are searching for answers and they are coming to church and the church needs to be equipped to provide these answers. We should not be saying, you know, hey, we're here as a church, but you need to go to, you know, a qualified and competent um, you know, psychology therapist out there because we're not equipped to deal with the heart issues here at the church. Um, that is absolutely false. Um, obviously, there are certain you know, medical conditions, things like that, that 
of course, uh, need to be dealt with by medical doctors um, and all of that. But we as the church need to be equipped to deal with the heart condition, the sin issues, and giving the hope and the truth of the gospel of Christ to everyone, regardless of their circumstances and how they come into the church. We have to be equipped and prepared for this. So the AFA Cultural Institute um, is providing two really important um, special edition resources. And uh, these are ways that we can reach the sexually broken in an effective way with grace and truth. And while the church is plagued by these lies of so-called gay Christianity, sincere Christians are seeking to show compassion to those who are struggling without compromising the truth of God's word. So the first one of these is uh, called Practical Ways to Minister to the Sexually Broken. It's a 60-minute talk uh, with Stephen Black and uh, Laura Lee uh, Stanlake, I believe is how she pronounces her last name. They've been ministering to men and women through First Stone Ministries for over 30 years. Both came out of homosexuality themselves, so they bring really unique circumstances and spiritual sensitivity to their work. Um, You can watch this for free for a limited time on streaming.afa.net. That's streaming.afa.net, or you can get the DVD version if you want to take this to your church, show it at your church. Um, At my church, we have a Sunday school hour that we deal with the biblical worldview and analysis uh, to... Uh, how we take the truth of the gospel of Christ and actually translate that in a practical way to our culture. So you can get the DVD at resources.afa.net. That's resources at afa.net. You can also get the second uh, special edition resource that's called The Theological Error of Quote-Unquote Gay Christianity. That's a 70-minute Uh, series with Stephen Black and M.D. Perkins. Um, Stephen Black, again, is uh, is one from the First Stone Ministries that came out of homosexuality. And M.D. Perkins is a research fellow of church and culture for the American Family Association. And um, this is just so important, and I cannot underscore enough on this Friday episode going into the weekend I hope that everyone who is listening to this, as much as we are concerned rightly about politics, about the future of America, about our uh, upcoming 2024 election, we cannot lose sight of how critical it is to speak truth in culture and deal with and be equipped as individuals and members of our church community with the truth of the biblical worldview when we're going to be dealing with Uh, with all of these people that are so broken by the LGBTQ agenda. Um, My mom is a, is a Christian counselor, a biblical counselor. And, you know, she deals every day with um, parents who are coming saying, you know, my, my child went off to college and then, you know, came back and, and is confronting, you know, all of these issues and is now, you know, confused about their, their gender identity or, you know, all of these other things. And we are going to have to face this as a church And I really, really hope that you will take this time to get equipped and to make sure that you understand the biblical worldview of human sexuality so we can confront this in our culture. So again, go to streaming.afa.net or resources.afa.net and purpose this weekend to learn more about the biblical worldview and advocate for truth. I'm Jenna Ellis. You can always reach me, jenna at afr.net. 
go into the culture this weekend and speak truth for the gospel of Christ, because that's where it's at. And I'll see you Monday morning.